Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 38 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am here with Kyle F. to talk about Syracuse basketball's performance in the ACC tournament, the end of a 51-year winning streak, and the end of Syracuse basketball's 2021-22 season. Kyle, how are you doing? Honestly, Mike, I am not doing well. Uh, for anyone who may have seen uh, a few days ago on social media, a, a certain quarterback returned to the NFC South. Um, <laughs> I, uh, upon reading this this notification while watching uh, The Dark Knight, um, probably started crying. The Dark Knight is not a movie to cry at, at least during the middle of it. Um, and I, it happened, and I, it was rough. It was really, really rough. And I, it's, I'm not doing well, Mike. I'm not doing well at all. Tom Brady back. Unbelievable. And the, as our resident Saints fan, I can understand your pain. What, what um, unfinished business does he have? He said unfinished business. What unfinished business? You need 10 trophies. <sighs> I mean, honestly, I think he saw like Russell Wilson getting traded out of the NFC um, you know, a couple other big free agent signings going over to the AFC and is thinking, man, there's, there's really like one good team in the NFC right now, but now um, the entire, maybe NF- two. now the entire NFC South wants the Sean Watson, which is not a topic we're going to discuss today because there are a lot of things <laughs> to go into that, but now the entire NFC South wants him. It's, oh boy. Yeah. I, I was, I, yeah. you know, I felt it was 40 days of bliss, 40 days of no Brady, he was done. The NFC South was wide open for the Saints. Resign Jameis, bring everyone back, run it back. We'll be good to go. And he has to come in and do this to us. And now they trade for Shaq Mason and they sign everyone and they bring in Russell Gage. And it's just like they're bringing the whole crew back. And it's like, really? Really? You had to do this to us? You couldn't have given us, like, I don't know, a couple years off? You know, Brett Favre gave everyone the season, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, and and I know what happened here. I mean, it's it's obvious what happened. This isn't Tom Brady just, you know, got the itch back or realized he made the wrong decision. This is 100% Giselle saying, you know what? Maybe you being home is not so great. <laughs> it was better when you weren't here that much. Oh, Get boy. out. Go play. You know, we got this covered. Um, oh, I, think, I think that's what happened. I think it was wife enjoying her space him invading her space and saying nope nope this doesn't work and it only took a month and a half almost a month and a half but that is uh sadly not why we are here we're here for you in sadder news mike which is up to to eclipse we're here to talk sadder things we are and there is a large cross-section of Syracuse fans that are Buffalo Bills fans that will share in your hatred of Tom Brady so you guys can um, at least come together on that. It's that time of year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament finally upon us. If you're looking to wager this year, Bet Online is the number one spot for all of your updated odds and info along with great contests and 
including a bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet Online, where the game starts. But we are here to talk about Syracuse's performance in the ACC tournament. They went one and one, blowing out Florida State and losing a really tough, close game to Duke without Buddy Bayheim, which of course we will get into all of that. But let's start with the game against Florida State. Syracuse wins by 39. It was essentially a 40 point win. And just dominated Florida State. It was the most complete game that Syracuse has played all season. Uh, Offensively, they were on fire, shooting 51%. They scored 96 points. They made 11 threes. That percentage dipped down to 39, but it was closer to 50 until the game, you know, basically was already out of hand. Um, Florida State only shot 30 uh, 2% for the game, and they were just 2 for 25, which is a robust 8% from 3 for the game. And yes, part of that was they missed some shots. But a lot of that was also Syracuse playing pretty well on the defensive end. So this was just a complete game. Um, Syracuse won the rebounding battle against a Florida State team that's really big and a very good rebounding team. Syracuse out-rebounded them 52-35. to 35. Uh, So there's a huge advantage there. Cole Swider was had 28 points and 13 rebounds. Gerard had 16 points and four assists. Buddy only needed to score 14 points for Syracuse to win this game convincingly. Uh, Frank Anselm came off the bench and had nine points, 15 rebounds, four assists, and three blocks. Samir Torrance played 29 minutes. He had nine points and nine assists and didn't miss a shot. It, it was just, you know... It seems like this happens the last several years that when you get into March, Syracuse figures it out and puts it all together. And this really felt like Syracuse was doing it again. Despite the record, they were putting it all together and playing their best basketball of the season. I think, and I said this ahead of time to some people, I think Jim Beheim told them, play like you have nothing to play for because they weren't. They weren't going to go to the NIT. Unless they win the AC tournament, we're not going to the AC tournament. That he probably told them, just play. Play. You have nothing to worry about anymore. The only way to keep my record alive, which we'll talk about later, is to basically win the entire thing. So let's just go out there and do the basketball. And that is what happened here. This, as you said, was the most complete performance we've seen all season. They shot, again, two for 25 from three. That is about what I shot in a park and rec game when I'm playing with a bunch of two-year-olds. That's what I shoot. It's, and I'm playing against like high schooler. It's not, that was a awful performance from Florida state because Syracuse played so well. We did everything right. Offense was great. Defense was great. Rebounding was great. We were assisting everybody. We got a bunch of steals here or there. I mean, it was one of those games where you look at it and you're just like, yeah, Six blocks, five assists, very cool. Also, Florida State had seven blocks, and we still won with 96 points. That is wild numerically. And this was a game I think we needed. I think Syracuse had to exercise some of those demons they had uh, following the really rough end of the season, the regular season, with those four straight losses. I think they needed to exercise the demon of Miami, Duke, UNC and Notre Dame and get all of it out of the system. And they did right here. They did all of that. And it led into the Duke game, which again, we'll discuss shortly, but they needed to just let loose and Florida state happened to be the punching bag. Uh, And I, I honestly feel bad for them. That was brutal to have to watch. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman sausage company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells. 
Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like, and Florida State came in playing well. That's the thing. There's a lot of people that say it's Florida State. They, they weren't as good this year as they had been and, and all of that. And, you know, th- that's true to a certain extent in that um, Florida State, the last, you know, three, four years, whatever it is, had been um, a team that was competing for the ACC championship. They were one of the best teams in the league. They were a top 10, top 15 type of a team. They were a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. They weren't that this year, but they had won three games in a row. Um, so, you know, it, it they came in playing good basketball. And I think there were some people that thought that they had a shot to you know, potentially upset Duke in the quarterfinals, assuming they got past Syracuse and pot- potentially make a little bit of a run in the ACC tournament. And Syracuse squashed that right away and made it known right from the get-go up by 23 points at the half, used a big run in the middle of the first half when it was still a close game to, to give themselves some separation. And Florida State didn't have an answer. And Syracuse just they got all the momentum and and they ran with it and and they took full control of the game and took advantage of the fact that Florida state wasn't shooting well and they were, and that's, that's what you should do when you're playing well. And the other team is struggling to put the ball in the basket. You should put them away. And they did that. It felt like Florida state, you know, kind of at halftime, they felt like it was over. I don't want to say that they quit, you know, they were still out there playing hard, but I, I think everybody kind of knew what the outcome was going to be at that point. And, you know, I know Syracuse has given up some big leads this season, right? We've seen them give up double digit leads. We saw them give up leads to Miami specifically. So this was another team from Florida where you have a big lead. And I understand why there might be some, well, we've seen Syracuse blow leads before, but here's what Syracuse did that was brilliant. Those two Miami games, what was the point total Syracuse got up by that Miami came back from? It was 18, right? In both games. In this game, Syracuse skipped 18 altogether. They got up by 17. They made a two-point basket and got up by 19. Didn't even put it to chance. Didn't even hit that 18 number again. It was brilliant game planning by all involved to not hit that unlucky 18 again. Brilliance in getting that win. So kudos to them for being smart and avoiding the unlucky number kudos to the players. And and we talked about this in our last episode that the mental aspect of how this team responds, I think would be quite telling because a lot of teams, the way they lost that game to Miami and the, the absolute collapse in the final couple of minutes there specifically in the final minute, three turnovers in that last minute to take, a game that you should win pretty easily to, to end up losing in regulation, no less. And with all of the emotions of senior day, the fact that you now have a losing record, um, the NCAA tournament's not happening. It'd be very easy for the team to just check out and say, look, the season didn't go as we wanted. Let's just get this over with. And they did the opposite of that. And I think that speaks to, the culture of the Syracuse basketball program. I think that speaks to the coaching staff and their ability to keep the team and the players engaged, but um, that's not easy to bounce back mentally from what happened in the Miami game and the devastation it was knowing that it was buddy and Jim's last game in the dome senior day playing for their dad and all of those emotions. And then you blow that game. I think I was just extremely impressed with the way that they bounced back from that. They bounced back strong and it wasn't just, oh, Buddy and Jimmy bounce back strong. No, no, no. This was Cole playing well again. Cole Swider, I don't know what he, if he ate his Wheaties at the end of the season or what it was, he ended on a strong note. I mean, putting up 28, 13 rebounds, only two fouls, he played lights out. And when the biggest thing, which I think we didn't see almost all season until the end here, and again, we'll discuss it more in the next game, was... When he plays well, there is just space, space, and more space on the court. And him playing well is different from when Buddy or Joe plays well. That it just feels like there's that extra little bit of room with him. That as soon as he plays well, all of a sudden he's that spot-up three-shooter. He's going to be in the corner. He's going to be wherever you need him to be. And it 
creates more room for everyone versus if buddy plays well, or if Joe plays well, all of a sudden they send double and triple teams at him. And then there's almost an, all of a sudden just no space anywhere for some reason, but with Cole, there's space and he shot the ball really well. And with his space, Joe had better open looks, Buddy only had to put up 14 points. Jimmy got 12 in there. As you said, both Frank and Samir got nine in there too. It just opened the floodgates for everybody to play well. And if we had seen this from Cole Swider all season, I can't begin to imagine how many games we would have won with Syracuse. I, that might be and out. Obviously the what ifs we have would be if Jesse doesn't get hurt or if Benny is not out for the end, end of the season or they can inbound the ball against North Carolina or if they can inbound the ball <laughs> or if there's certain Teddy Valentine calls that go our way instead of, you know, being Teddy Valentine calls, some things like that, that if they, if the ball bounces the right way, those are good. What ifs and you'd expect those to happen. But my big, what if is what if Cole Swider played like this most of the season, not all of it, but just, more of it, maybe four or five more of these games from him during the season. What would have happened? Maybe some of those games we lose by two, we win by six. No question. And it, it clearly took him and Samir Torrance longer to feel comfortable than I think everyone anticipated. And that's why, you know, one of the biggest question marks for Syracuse basketball this offseason is whether or not Cole Swider returns. And that's why I think if I'm the Syracuse coaches, I'm doing everything I can to try to talk him into coming back because he gets another off season. He understands the, the systems on both ends. He gives you a veteran scoring presence. Um, you know, one of the better shooters in the ACC, we've seen him take over a game and, and, you know, to the point where he can lead you to a victory. So you know, if I'm the Syracuse coaches, I'm trying to talk him into coming back because to your point, you don't have to worry about him, you know, going through that time period where he was trying to get comfortable because he is now. And we saw that at the end of the year. So you could see that potentially for the whole season next year. Uh, so that would obviously be big for Syracuse. But the, the other main thing to come out of this Florida well, like State something, game. Something else got out of the Florida State game. What could that have been? Not a refereeing the, decision, an ACC decision. Definitely not that, right? The hit heard around the world, as they say. So there was an incident with Buddy Beheim with um, Florida State player Wyatt Wilkes. And it was on a transition three. I think it was by Gerard. Um, and when the shot went in, Buddy is trying to get in position to rebound. And Wilkes comes in and kind of gives him a little, you know, bump shoulder, whatever you want to call it. I love tap. Um, I love tap. Right. You know, makes contact probably a little more than it had to be, but nothing, honestly, nothing really egregious. You see stuff like that. Um, I don't want to say all the time, but you see stuff like that in, in physical ACC games and everything else. So um, Buddy, Buddy's response was he turns around and winds up and contacted him. He says it wasn't a punch. Um, some people claimed it was. Wyatt Wilkes, the man himself, said it wasn't a punch and he didn't think it was a big deal. He said, I've been elbowed 30 plus times harder than that um, in regular games and all that stuff. So here's here's what ends up happening. Nothing gets called during the game. After the game, everyone's talking about it. It was going, you know, going viral on social media all of the talking heads at ESPN were talking about it and he needs to be suspended. He needs to be suspended. And the ACC later that night announces that they are going to indeed suspend him for one game. So he would miss the Duke game. A um, couple of things on that. First of all, I thought Jay Billis had a very interesting perspective on the Buddy Bayheim suspension. And mainly because they didn't call anything at the time, his exact words were that the punishment was disproportionate to the offense, that the rules of the game indicate that if a play started 
after the fact and the action could not be reviewed, then it's final. And that it was final. And the referees could not review that play after play started again. They missed it. And that's fine. And that's should have been the end of it, that a reprimand saying this action is unacceptable. Um, it should have been called during the game because it wasn't. We're not punishing him further. Um, but we are letting everyone know that we're um, basically watching to make sure something like this doesn't happen again. Um, instead, Buddy gets suspended. And um, essentially, the ACC suspended Buddy Beheim because the officials didn't do their job during the game. And what makes it even worse is immediately after the play, Wyatt Wilkes falls to the ground and he tells the official that's sitting right there, Buddy just hit me. And the official does nothing about it. One of the assistant coaches, according to, I heard on some local radio stations, there were some people sitting nearby the Florida State bench and they heard an interact, uh, an exchange of um, comments between one of the Florida state assistant coaches. And I believe it was Teddy Valentine. Teddy Valentine, where, our, favorite, our favorite person. Our favorite person. That's right. Um, high quality official never makes mistakes. Uh, does not believe that the game is all about him in any way. So the Florida state assistant coach apparently said to Teddy Valentine or whoever the official was that, Hey, buddy just hit our player. You know, you need to go look at that. And the response back was, no, 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 was laughing and saying, no, 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 there's nothing there. We don't need to review that. Well, that's a massive failure on the official's part, because what should have happened is the official should have reviewed it and they should have made a determination whether it was a flagrant one, which would give um, Florida State free throws and the ball, or it was a flagrant two. In which case, Buddy Beheim gets ejected from the rest of the game. So, if that had happened, then Buddy Beheim plays for the Duke game and there's no harm, no foul. Period. He's in there. It's all good. Um, you know, it, it's. The, the the frustrating part, I think, from a Syracuse perspective in this whole thing is the failure and the mistake of the officials to miss the action live, to not review it when it was brought to their attention at that moment, results in the player being punished for a subsequent game. The officials involved in that game were officiating the ACC tournament the next night i think they did miami boston college i think they did that game and they officiated the rest of the ACC tournament so nothing happened to the officials who made the mistake that caused all of this in the first place but buddy was punished now here's the other side of it buddy put himself in that situation by contacting the guy he did. He put himself in a situation where someone could make a ruling, even if we disagree with the ruling and the way it was handled. And I disagree with the way it was handled. I think he should have been ejected during the Florida State game. I think it's because the officials missed that, that the appropriate action at that point would be to say the officials missed it. We're going to reprimand Buddy by basically it's basically a public shaming, right? It's saying what you did was wrong and that's it. But their investigation into the incident didn't include speaking with any of the people involved in the incident. They didn't speak with Wyatt Wilkes. They didn't speak with the Florida State coaches. They didn't speak with the Syracuse coaches. They didn't speak with Buddy Beheim. How do you do an investigation into the incident? And there's no appeals process is the other part of it. So how do you do an investigation into the incident and not talk to the parties involved? Because I think if you would talk to Wyatt Wilkes for five minutes about the incident, he said, okay, well, you know, he was the one that was hit. He said it really wasn't that big of a deal. 
you know, perhaps the suspension is a little too harsh. Clearly, none of them watched Wilkes's YouTube video he put up right after the game right. saying, but I, again, as you said, I've felt elbows harder than that. I don't think Buddy should be suspended. He, I know he's a good guy. Like, I, I don't get wh- how they did what they did. And this is a part of the why fans hate referees or not hate, but dislike referees, why fans dislike the governing bodies of the NCAA sometimes is when things like this happen where you're just like, it's very clear. Speak to Wilkes, speak to Buddy, speak to Bayheim, speak to, is it Leonard Williams? Who's the uh, Leonard Hamilton? Is he the coach of Florida state? Yes. Speak to Leonard Hamilton, Wilkes and the Bayheims. Talk to them, talk to the referees of the game, go through all of it. See, why do they not call it? Try and find that out first. And if you hear, oh, they didn't call it because they missed it, you should not be able to go back and say, okay, we're going to fix their mistake. Then obviously, if, it, and if you see later that it's a more violent mistake, go for it. But if you were to hear anything Wilkes said, you would immediately say, okay, don't got to suspend the kid. It makes absolutely no sense why you should go back and ban him for an extra game because the refs screwed up. I agree. He should have been he should have been out for the rest of the Florida State game. Would it have mattered? No. But he should have been out the rest of the game. That's how it should have worked. Is he should have been booted for the game. That's what anything happens. That's he should have flagrant two and gone. Easy. Easy send off. Don't worry about it. You're good to go. And if it comes out later the elbow may have been uh, the punch was softer than an elbow Wilkes has gotten. Okay, whatever. We're not mad at it. it. It's what it happened. And it's a clear punch. We agree with it. Whatever. We move on. And it's not a story. But because the ref screwed up, you think we need to help them and make a ruling to keep favor with them and make it look like, oh, it's Buddy's fault. There was no problem with the refs or whatever. When clearly the referees were at fault here for letting it get to this point. It's a systemic problem. There's got to be better process, a better guidelines, especially when you have, you're in the AC tournament. If you are in a regular season game, I guarantee they take more time with it. I get, I, my bet is that because they were like, Oh, they play the next day. We got to get this done. Now we'll skip whatever process we possibly could ever have had anyway, which we wouldn't have used skip all of that. Screw it. We don't need it. And it'll just go with what we think is right. And they clearly just watched the replay and said, okay, suspend him, bam, done. Next case. And they didn't stop to think, okay, what exactly happened? Let's talk to people. Let's see what happened in the moment. It, it, it befuddles me. It, it blows my mind how ignorant and nonsensical the ACC, the referees are. It's just sometimes it's... It's not even like it's a tough thing to do. It's literally just talk to people. That's not tough. We're talking right now, Mike. You could hop on a Zoom with Buddy Beheim and ask him some questions. You could probably find him. You know where he's staying. You're the AC tournament. You're hosting these teams in a hotel. You know exactly where in Brooklyn they're staying. Not tough to find them. It. Oh, yay, yay. Sorry, I have a headache now. Um, I thought Tom Brady was my worst nightmare. No. No, Buddy Bayham getting suspended was way worse than that. Yeah, and there's there's a couple of things that that I'll I'll say just to you know wrap up the discussion on this, which is regardless of whether or not you believe that the um, punishment for Buddy Bayheim was warranted, everyone can agree, I believe, that the process, the way it was handled by the ACC and the officials, was wrong was not done well. And the fact that there was no punishment of any kind to the officials for not looking at it at that moment, I think is a joke. That's, that's my personal take on it. And this goes back to, I know I get a lot of flack of a lot of flack for blaming the officials and complaining about the officials. But this is this is the reason that I point out the poor officiating is because there isn't accountability when they make major mistakes like this. And that's it. That's unfortunate. Um, 
I, I think it's, it's extremely unfortunate. The other thing that I'll say is the ACC has kind of already set a precedent for some of this in that several years ago, Grayson Allen for Duke was tripping people multiple games and the ACC did nothing. Nope. It did. It wasn't until he did it the third or fourth time that Duke stepped in and suspended him themselves for a game. And then the ACC just released a statement that says, we agree with the one game suspension and wash their hands of it. But he had to do it three times, but that was a Duke player doing it to other people. Now there's a Syracuse player doing it to someone and it impacts them playing against Duke. And suddenly the first offense, you get the punishment and no consideration was given to the fact that buddy Bayheim, when has he ever had an incident of any kind, right? He's, he's about as good as it gets off the court. Um, he's not a dirty player. He's a good kid by all accounts. And you essentially give him what the maximum penalty is for this situation on the first offense without talking to any of the parties involved, without also punishing the officials who made the mistake during the game as well. I, I think that's, a, as you said, a systematic problem that needs to be fixed. But on to other things. Syracuse advances from blowing out Florida State, and because they don't have Buddy Beheim, they're going into the Duke game as heavy underdogs. They would have been heavy underdogs anyway after getting just stopped by duke in the previous two games neither were competitive both were over very early now syracuse is without his best player john bolajock got hurt against uh florida state so he was hampered you already don't have jesse edwards and benny williams so you're down to six guys and that means you're going to have to have three of those guys, potentially four of those guys play all 40 minutes. And I think Duke was a 15, 16 point favorite, something like that, which seemed low given the way that they had blown Syracuse out the previous two games. And yet Syracuse played unbelievably well. They had a four point lead at the half that lead extended to as many as seven. I don't believe it got up to eight, but it got up to seven. And had a lead with a little over three minutes to go and just basically fell apart over the last, you know, minute and a half or so. It was a one possession game uh, with a little over a minute to go. So, yes, disappointing that Syracuse lost, but if I don't think anyone, especially when you're talking about a program like Syracuse, is into moral victories. This is about as close as you're going to get to that, right? Given how underhanded they were, Jimmy Bayheim has just a tremendous performance, 28 points, six of nine from three, seven rebounds, three steals, clearly playing for his brother, which is, is just, you know, those types of things. I just, I just love those things about sports. You can have a guy like Jimmy come in and almost will his team to what would have been almost a miraculous upset. Um, Joe Girard scores 23. Swider added 15. Samir Torrance has 11 assists. He got the start in place of Buddy. Uh, you know, they they played their butts off. They were significantly overmatched. Syracuse played some man defense. They played some triangle and two defense. They just mixed it up to try to frustrate Duke. It clearly worked, and they nearly pulled off the upset. And despite the loss, if you're going to finish the season with a losing record, you're not going to go to the postseason, which they didn't that it's about as positive in that scenario as you can go out finishing your season is the way that they played in these last two games in the ACC tournament, the way that they, you know, took a Duke team. That's a lot of people's, you know, a lot of people are going to pick to go to the final four. And he took a team with that many NBA players on it right down to the wire. And perhaps if Cole Swider doesn't get called for his fourth foul in the middle of the second half on just an absolutely ticky tack borderline ridiculous call. Then he comes out for just two minutes. And over that two minutes, it went from Syracuse up six to it being, I don't remember if it was tied or Duke was up by two. Um, but that completely changed the entire demeanor of the game. And it did. And I, 
the first thing I want to say, kind of going around for this, because this game was a lot. Uh, I was watching with some friends and we were freaking out the entire time. Uh, I made a comment afterwards, which was, obviously, everyone knows the Beastie Boys song, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Well, Syracuse got to Brooklyn and Jimmy Beheim went unconscious. He was asleep. He was unconscious in this game. He went ballistic. I mean, I don't know if having Buddy on the team makes him worse or if Buddy gave him his powers for the game and said, here is all of my shooting ability, add it to your shooting ability, and you'll be unstoppable. I don't know what happened, what the power transference was, but Jimmy Beheim had one of the best performances I've seen from a player in a long time. Just everything he did, every shot he took, it felt like it was going in. Even when he missed, you were like, that was a good shot. Even though it could have been a sky hook from half court, you would have said, that's a good shot. It was one of those games where you just did not question anything the man did. He went 11 for 20, six for nine from three. Some of the threes he made, I know one of them was a a high arcing shot that you thought hit hit the roof of the Barclays Center and was a swish. And it brought us back the lead. And you were just like, oh my gosh, it's just everything's going to work for him. He hit a 30-footer at some point. It was one of those games where it just, everything worked. Everything went well for Syracuse until, as you said, Cole Swider picked up that foul. And then all of a sudden, the wheels fell off because, in part, Syracuse was playing without three of their realistic eight players. They were playing without Benny, without Jesse, and without Buddy. If you add them in, you take out John Bolajak's two minutes he got while Cole Swider was out. You probably get rid of Sidibe's minutes. You give them to Jesse. You have Jesse, Benny, Buddy in. Your eight-man rotation strong. At that point, this team was good. They just played without the three of them. But it, it was, wow. I, I honestly didn't have words watching it. It was just a magical performance to watch. And the team could hold their heads up high and say, we played lights out. I mean, Samir Torrance ended with 11 assists. That's tough. That's tough to do. He ended with 11 assists. We, a strong 39 rebounds. I mean, we played really well. You can't be mad at yourselves after that one. I mean, Cole Swider played horribly. And I said it to you before the episode, which is he shot the ball poorly, didn't rebound well, got a lot of fouls, but it felt watching the game like he was playing really well. Because of how he'd played in the previous games, it felt like just his energy was just there. Everything he was trying to do was just going to work regardless of what happened. And that started with the second half. The first thing that happened is we won the ball. Nine seconds into the half, he makes a three. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, we're up seven going into the second half now. What's happening here? And then Williams made a jumper. Joe Girard makes a jumper. And then it's like, okay, we're going to fight Duke off. We're going to win this game. I don't know how we're going to do it. We're playing with seven players right now, realistically six, because Boljak played two minutes. So six players are playing this game. And I, wow. I honestly was just so happy with this performance. I, I have no bad words. I have nothing bad to say. Again, if it wasn't for Duke having a bench full of players who are going to be in the NBA, I mean, bringing Jeremy Roach off the bench, who's good, who's an NBA prospect, casually, and he drops 19. Like, you can't stop that. Paolo Bonchero didn't play well. He went 0 for 4 from 3. Keels went 6 for 11 from the field, 2 for 6 from 3. I mean, even Wendell Moore, who was their, their star of the day, wasn't lights out. He was really good, but he wasn't perfect. It was one of those games where you say, okay, we got beat by a better team at the end of the day that if obviously if we have Benny, Jesse, buddy, you can see how the, what if, if we have them, how do we play against them? But honestly, and this is something, this is a weird thing, which I'll leave it off with and going back to you with is I think we played better without buddy. I think if we had buddy Beheim, this game would have been lost early, but like, because we didn't have buddy and this might sound blasphemous to Syracuse fans and Call me out. Go for it. I just think if Buddy Beheim played, we would not have had a shot in this game. I mean, it it's funny because it forced them to do a lot of different things. 
that seemed to catch Duke off guard, which I think certainly helped them. But just to go through that sequence in, in the second half, um, Jimmy Beheim hit a three with 15-21 to go to give Syracuse a 55-49 to 49 lead. Um, uh, there was a missed shot by Duke and uh, a media timeout. Um, Paolo Bonchero gets an offensive rebound off of a, a missed three from AJ Griffin and Cole Swider is called for a foul with exactly 15 minutes left in the second half. That was his fourth foul. He comes out. John Volajak comes in. Syracuse is up 55 to 49. It took all of a minute and 31 seconds for Duke to score eight points and take the lead. And that ends up being the difference. That's your difference in the game right there because Syracuse had controlled the action from, they got down by 10 early and it looked like Duke was going to start running away with it. And then Syracuse battles back, controls the rest of the first half, takes a lead into halftime, extends the lead up to seven or eight. And it kind of stayed between four and eight for most of the first five minutes. And then that three pointer by, by Jimmy gives extended the lead back to six. And it just felt like Syracuse had an answer for everything that Duke was trying to do until Cole Swider went out. It made it so much easier for Syracuse or for Duke to defend Syracuse. And you ended up with three straight missed jumpers. Um, I'm sorry, four straight missed jumpers by Syracuse after that. And that allowed Duke to get out in transition and get some easy buckets. Got up by by two. Um, Swider immediately comes back in, and two possessions later hits a three to give Syracuse the lead back. So it it just it's so much more difficult for teams to to defend Syracuse when Swider was out there, especially with the way that Jimmy was shooting the ball. And it just, it changed the tenor of the game. And yes, Syracuse came back and took a lead with 3.32 to go. But imagine if instead of a one-point lead with 3.32 to go, it's a seven-point lead with 3.32 to go. Or a nine-point lead. You take those eight points away, it's a nine-point lead with 3.32 to go. I think it's a lot different. And it's a lot different for a couple of reasons. Not only is it much more difficult because you're up three scores, but the mental aspect of that, right? Syracuse is believing we're up nine with three minutes to go. We've got control of this game. Duke having the pressure of this is Coach K's last ACC tournament. Oh my God, we can't lose to to this Syracuse team that's you know uh, depleted I mean, with I mean, some of the best players out in the Carrier Dome. Absolutely, right? Blew them out. <laughs> right. So the mental aspect of, of how everyone reacts to that would have um, certainly played a role as well. But at the end of the day. They didn't win, and the the end result is the NIT elected not to pick Syracuse. They could have. They could have invited Syracuse to their tournament because they did, I believe, in 2017, they waived the rule that said you had to have – you couldn't have a losing record and be eligible for the NIT. They waived that, so they could have brought Syracuse in, elected not to. So Syracuse is not in a postseason tournament at all they finished 16 and 17 the 51 season winning streak winning season streak is ended jim Beheim no longer has um uh, a resume that includes no losing seasons and that's where you end up but you end up that way feeling like the reason that it's that way that injuries played a big part of that and that, you know, we, we talked about the what-ifs earlier. You know, what if Syracuse could inbound the ball against North Carolina Wake Forest? What if they didn't blow double-digit leads to bad Georgetown and bad Pittsburgh team? What if, you know, they could execute down the stretch in a few more games than they did? You know, you're possibly looking at a bubble team at, at a minimum at that point. So, um, you know, they are what, what the record says they are. Uh, they weren't good enough defensively. They were a top-20 team in offensive efficiency all year. And defensively, they were in the mid 200s. That's that's just not going to get it done um, at this level. So 
that's that's the way the season ends, unfortunately for Syracuse. But uh, I do think that there was some things that we saw in the ACC tournament games, specifically with Samir Torrance and Joe Girard playing so well together in the backcourt and how they complemented each other, Joe playing more off the ball, that I think should have you optimistic that it's not going to be the same type of year next year with some of the recruits they have coming in. And um, especially if Cole Swider comes back and the continued development of Jesse Edwards um, and off season development for Benny Williams. I think there's, there's reason to be optimistic that next year is going to be closer to a typical Syracuse basketball season instead of what this was. There is. And I think a lot of this season also came with that pressure of having both of his sons on the team. I think there was the weird pressure where a lot of us kind of felt if we go to the tournament, he might retire after his sons leave. There was that weird, what if maybe this happens and having both your kids feels like that was what it was going to be. And now that pressure is kind of gone. So you can, he, he's kind of playing with house money now that he can relax, breathe. There's no pressure to hold that record up. There is no pressure to have both your sons on the team. There's a bit of freedom in that. He's kind of freed from whatever bonds were tying him down. And now he can say, I can do what I want with this team. I can mold it how I need to and not have anyone shouting, make sure you don't have a losing record this season or make sure you make the tournament for your kids' sake. They're both almost done with college. But he doesn't have that problem now. This is the Jim Beheim show now. This is not the record show. This is not the Syracuse tournament show. This is not the Buddy Beheim, Jimmy Beheim thing. This is him coaching, and we saw it in that Duke game. Again, they changed a lot of things up without Buddy, but they played really well, and it caught Duke really off guard. And Jim coached them really, really well. It That's what it was. He coached rings around Coach K for most of the game. The ending was just down to... A, the foul with Swider, as we said. Also, we went up 79-78 with 330-something left. If, say, one of those shots from Duke isn't made towards the end, this was a lot more interesting. Say that first Wendell Moore shot is missed. Again, Duke shot 39% in the first half from the field. They shot 61% in the second half. That is a humongous turnaround. And we still kept up with them. That The entire time we kept pace with them in the game, even though they shot miles better. That was just how good we were playing. If some of those shots fall, if Swider doesn't get a fourth foul, maybe that fourth foul comes with three minutes left or something like that in the game. Maybe it comes later in the game rather than midway through the second half. Maybe we have a bigger shot. Maybe we win that game. But Jim Beheim, I think, is almost relieved to have lost because it gets a lot of the, the monkey off the back it gets a lot of the pressure off. It's all of a sudden, this is it, he can kind of say to fans next year, last year was as low as it gets. We were 16 and 17, and we just barely missed out on the tournament. We just barely missed out on beating some amazing teams. If some things, as we said, go our way, as you said earlier, we're a bubble team. And we're probably in it at that point because we're Syracuse. We always end up in it because we're a bubble team. Maybe he says this is that's as low as it gets. But next year... That's not happening anymore. That's not how that's that's not the new norm here. The new the new norm is back to what we used to be of winning properly and winning games and not have a losing season. Then he can come back with a little bit of a vengeance tour. All of a sudden, there's no Coach K. There's no Roy Williams. It's just you, big guy. It's just him here. He's the giant. He's the number one coach in the ACC. He he runs the show. This is the this is the Jim Beheim show now, and that's honestly kind of something nice to have. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll end with this. Um, I don't know when Jim Bayham's going to retire. We know he's going to be back next season. I know there's a lot of people that wanted him gone after this year. But I'll just say this. The man has given his entire life to Syracuse University in Central New York. And at the end of his career, if fans had to endure after getting 45 years of elite-level basketball with a lot of you know, historic moments, the title, the final four runs and the amazing wins, the Big East tournament titles and, and all of those things. And you had to give up essentially if 
some people are claiming there's narcissism and the team was built to satisfy Jim wanting to coach his kids and not in the interest of winning and all of that. I don't believe any of that is true, but let's just say for the sake of the argument that it is, if he had to sacrifice one season for that guy that gave you what he did to this university and built it up to what it built the program up to what it was to allow him to coach his kids and you quote unquote sacrifice a year. I don't think that's the end of the world. Number two, I also think that even though I don't believe that that is true, despite the fact that the season didn't go well, it's his first losing season ever. Hall of Fame coach, as we said, built the program. If anyone deserves a chance to turn that around, it's it's that guy. It's Jim Beha. Given what he has built, what he has meant to this university, A, I think he should be able to go out whenever he wants. Uh, B, I think he's earned that. But B, at a minimum, I think you give him the opportunity to turn around what happened this year with the losing record. Say, okay, here you go. Turn it back around, get some better players in, develop some of the players you got, see if you can get back to the tournament this year, and then go from there. I, I don't think that's unreasonable, but we'll we'll see how that plays out. That'll do it for episode 38 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I'm Mike McAllister for Kyle Left, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.